hello and welcome to the 94 Feet Report. I'm your host as always, Eric Spiropoulos. You can follow me on Twitter at Eric Spiros. Of course, you can follow the show on Twitter at the 94 Feet Report or you can check out our Facebook page, the 94 Feet Report Basketball Podcast. We have finally returned after about a two and a half week absence. Uh, you know, I was pretty busy with some other stuff. It was kind of, you know, regular season games that didn't matter for a lot of teams. But we are finally back because the NBA playoffs start this Saturday. By the time you guys are listening to this, it'll be Friday. So the NBA playoffs will start tomorrow with four games and then another four games on Sunday. So I decided to have one of our longtime running guests, great friend of mine, great basketball mind, Tambaloon Richardson. Uh, she's an editor at 16 Wins a Ring, where we host this podcast and where I write. Uh, also an editor at Thunderous Intentions on Fansided, as well as a featured writer for ESPN's Raptors Republic. She really knows her basketball, especially on the Raptors and the Thunder. So what we did in this episode, we previewed every single playoff matchup, dove into some stats, some matchups. Um, and then gave ourselves a, uh, gave our predictions for the series. So we go through each series in each conference, pretty in-depth, about an hour conversation about the series. It's really a great conversation about basketball. Again, follow me on Twitter, at Eric Spiros, for all the updates for the show and for my articles. I write for the 16 Wins a Ring about NBA, and then I cover the Houston Rockets for Hoops Habit. You can check out uh, previous episodes of this podcast on our Blog Talk Radio page or on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you do listen to us on iTunes, we greatly would appreciate a review um, because reviews really do help promote and boost the podcast on iTunes, so that'd be much appreciated. So in just a bit, we'll get Tamberlin Richardson on to talk the 2017 NBA playoffs. All right, we are now joined by Tamberlin Richardson, uh, editor of 16 Wins a Ring, as well as Thunderous Attentions on Fansided, as well as a writer for Raptors Republic. Tamberlin, how are you doing today? Well, it is the season, is it not? We're about ready to go crazy with all this playoff stuff. It is. We have survived the regular season uh, with all of its ups and downs, and we have finally made it to the playoffs, which start on Saturday. So when you guys are listening to this, it'll actually be starting tomorrow because this will be going up Friday morning. Um, can't remember off the top of my head what the uh, schedule is. Um, but oh, I have the schedules for each of them. So. All right. Well, I just remember that all I remember is that I'm looking most forward to Clippers Jazz on Saturday night. That's the game I'm looking forward to the most. Um, You're not looking forward to my Raptors Bucks series. Well, we'll get to that. That's actually I was on Twitter this morning and I was talking to someone and I, I said that that series, the Raptors series, Rockets Thunder, and then Clippers Jazz were my three most ser- three series I want to watch the most. I said on Twitter. Uh, justifiably, some of the other series really aren't that exciting, but we'll get into that. So in this episode, Tamberlin and I will just dive into all of the playoff series, starting with the Eastern Conference, go in order by seed. Um, just talk about the series, give a prediction, and we'll see what, what, where it takes us. Um, let's start off in the Eastern Conference. We've got the one-seeded Boston Celtics, something that not everyone expected, uh, against the A-seeded Bulls. Unfortunately, it was not the Miami Heat's night last night with the Nets resting basically the entire organization. Um, That's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. I feel so bad for Miami that they did that to them. Not to say that the Nets would have won on the road, but that they've got to change that. That's just so wrong. I can't even tell you how wrong that is. Yeah, and what we should be certainly seeing some some changes over in the off season uh, to scheduling and uh, other factors that make resting less likely, especially on national TV games, but even on those random games that basically decided potentially decided the Heat's playoff fate. So, absolutely. It, I mean, the last couple that's that's the factor I think they have to really look at is there's no reason why Jeremy Lin couldn't have played last night. I'm sorry, the guy barely played this season. Yeah, exactly. It was a shame. You know? 
yeah. or Brooke Lopez. So to rest them in the final game when they're not playing again this season, to me, it was it's really odd because I really like Sean Marks and I really like Kenny Atkinson, but I felt that was a really Bush League move to do that because they just beat the Bulls this last week. I know. They really did have a chance to beat them, actually, and they that would have given the Heat the playoffs, but... To whatever it's it, whatever it is, this is the case. We've got the Bulls in the playoffs, and we've got Celtics Bulls. Um, so, what are your initial thoughts on the series? Well, here's the thing: any series that Dwayne Wade is in, even though he's coming back from that broken elbow, yikes, um, is going to he's going to be a factor in. And Jimmy Butler is obviously a great player. All the pressure, all the pressure is on Boston mm-hmm. now. They wanted this. They've been spouting off all year about their how they're not worried about the Raptors. And, you know, you've seen various times through the season when Isaiah was getting sat because when he's on the court, teams score like something like 11 more points against them. Now, all of a sudden, the spotlight is squarely on a team that's never won a playoff series. Never. As a, as a unit. Yeah, this is their, so, they're looking for their first playoff win since 2012, which is before they got basically all this team. Yeah, the big three. So all the spotlight, all the pressure, everything is on Boston. If the Bulls go in and win game one, you watch how quickly those players start to get a little panicked, right? Oh, yeah. So the thing is, a lot of it's going to depend. These teams, I think, split this season, both winning at home. Um, The issue has always been... Rondo, well, Rondo's health is up in the question. The issue has always been trying to find a marriage between those three players, Rondo, Butler, and Wade. Butler actually played better with Rondo than he did with Wade, but Wade's one of those guys that just will do what's necessary. Let's not forget he was shooting something like 12 or 28% from three last year going into the playoffs yeah. and then couldn't be stopped from behind the line. So I, I think you have to put a lot of credence behind what Wade can do, and I wouldn't be surprised if this series goes very deep. I won't be surprised if Boston starts to panic a little bit. If you look at last season, the Hawks were able to stop Isaiah Thomas. They were able to, well, not stop him, but push him, um, put a lot of bodies on him, make him less successful as a shooter. And looking at post-All-Star break, which I put a lot of credence into how teams finish going into the playoffs. So, for me, Isaiah Thomas wasn't nearly as successful uh, after the All-Star break in terms of fourth quarter scoring, in terms of what he does on the floor in defense. I mean, he's, he's, he's not a defender, obviously. <laughs> Much will come down to what Bradley does, Crowder does, and also there's the issue now, the Bulls have been very good on the glass, but after Taj Gibson went to OKC, those numbers did drop, especially off the offensive glass. But who's going to stop at the rim for Boston? Who's going to rebound? I love Amir Johnson, but those ankles are like glass now. <laughs> Kelly Olenek's not necessarily going to rebound. So for me, this series is going to go deep. And if they get to a Game 7, I don't know if I'd put my money on Boston. I have to agree. I agree with you on the series going deep. I right now have Celtics in six. Um, I just think that their home court advantage, and I think their team is just good enough to win in six. And it's still hard to rely on the Bulls, you know, even though they they did split the season series. Um, and yeah, I'm interested to see how will Isaiah Thomas do in the playoffs. The defense is more intense in the playoffs, a slower pace, stuff like that. And 
since March, the Bulls have the third best defense in the entire league. So, you know, they've been really engaged on the defensive end. And of course, they do have guys that can simply take over games like a Jimmy Butler. Even a Dwayne Wade can show up, you know, even once or twice this series and he could just take over down the stretch of a game. So that's what I, mean, I, lo- I look at the at the rosters, and for me, honestly, as much as I love Avery Bradley and think he's a great defender, I think the X factor for the for the uh, Celtics is Brad, Brad Stevens, and I think the X factor for the Bulls could come down to one of their shooters. Can Meritek hit? Can Bobby Portis stop flailing his arms around? How good can Cristiano Feliciano be? Will Denzel Valentine get any serviceable minutes? Paul Zipser has been very good lately. So can he be an X factor? Yeah, there, there, there are a wide variety of X factors in this series. Um, there's a running joke if, if we're going to get TNT Bulls in the playoffs with that, that stat that they've won like 23 straight home games on TNT uh, or something like that. And, and the first three games of the series happened to be on TNT, so everyone was joking about that on Twitter. Um, Listen, I'm just, I'm just happy they're not the seventh seed because if they had have uh, upset Cavaliers, guess who they'd be playing? The Raptors. And that's the one team the Raptors don't want to play. <laughs> oh, yeah, that is true. That is true. And the Bulls swept the Cavs in the regular season. Not that you want to put that much credence into it. But um, regardless, I have Celtics in six. And I believe you're going Celtics in seven or six? I'm not even sure I'm taking the Celtics. I'm saying if they go seven, I think the Bulls beat them. Although I do tend to think that they'll get out of the first round. That's going to be a major hurdle for them to overcome. Much will depend on what they do with Isaiah Thomas and how successful he can be. I will give the Celtics the ga- the the series because of Brad Stevens, but I do so not very willingly. All right, so we got Celtics and Sits and Tamblin hesitant to give it the Celtics, but she ultimately does pick the Celtics to advance. In which case, we'll move on to the Cavs as the two seed. Let's C- say it's a coin toss. Let's say, okay, we're going with a coin toss. Uh, okay, so we got the Cavs and the two seed, and the Pacers in the seventh seed. What are your thoughts on this series? Who do you have winning? How many games and why? I'm. Here's the thing. The, the stat that I read this morning that was a, the most telling stat of all the stats is all of the teams that rank underneath the Cavaliers in defense are all lottery bound. Yeah. Okay? Mm-hmm. And since the break... The Cavaliers are 29th ranked defense. You just took that. You took that stat right off my notes. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, yeah. Well, I've been on. The thing for me was if you've listened to me talk on any of the other podcasts, or you if you've caught any of uh, my writings and some of the stuff that was on Raptors Republic and Thunder's Intentions, was that way back in December I started jumping up and down about the defense for the Cavaliers. Okay, mm-hmm. so allowing teams to score 111.1 points is scary. So you can talk as much as you want to about flipping a switch, but they have not been good since the All Star break. They're 11 and 15 since February 23rd, the night of the trade deadline. Yeah. So they they have a losing record since then, and granted. They played the, their Western road trips. They didn't have their first Western road trip didn't come until sometime in January or February. So all of their Western road, other than Memphis, okay. So all of their games out west came late, and that's when you started to see the issues rise. But 
Kyle Korver, as good as he's been on the three, he's not a defender. Kyrie Irving's not a great defender. Kevin Love's not a great defender. Channing Frye's not a great defender. Now, they just picked up Eddie Tavares from the Raptors 905, which is their D-League team. Mm-hmm. He's a 7-3 guy. It was bound to happen. It's, it's unfortunate for the Raptors 905, who swept their first deployment in the playoffs, in the D-League playoffs. Mm-hmm. And they also lost um, Axel Tupain to New Orleans. So they've lost their two best defenders uh, just as they're going into the playoffs. He may provide some rim protection because you're looking at Tristan Thompson of course he's getting angry. Of course him and LeBron are fighting because he's the only guy on the floor besides LeBron defending. Mm-hmm. And I question how good Iman Shumpert is as a defender. So, I mean, the bottom line is Indiana is a very interesting team because Paul George wants to make a splash in the playoffs. And Paul George is one of those, there was, you know, scuttlebutt this morning talking about, you know, did was Toronto upset that they got the Bucks? Would they rather have gotten Indiana or the Bulls or, you know, another team, uh, Atlanta? But the reality is Atlanta has the fifth best defense in the league. They've got Indiana has Paul George who can play on both ends. You know, for me, I, I, I don't know that Cavaliers won't get out of this round. I think they'll find a way to do it. But I think the issue is going to be further down the road. What I'd like to see is Indiana push them. And let's see whether or not Lance blows in LeBron's ear or not. <laughs> I know. We're all waiting for that kind of recreation of that moment. Um, yeah, I mean, I agree with you on, on basically everything you said. I mean, the, the Cavs being 29th in defense since the All-Star break is extremely concerning. And, you know, everyone's been saying they're going to flip the switch. And they're obviously going to need to flip the switch. Um, not only... But how do they do that, Eric? Exactly. Exactly. It's it's not something. They lost Delavadova. They don't have grit anymore. Exactly. Exactly. People act like uh, it's just like an automatic thing. Like you have to. It's just like a really hard thing to just flip the switch, especially because they were not giving any effort up until the final game of the regular season, and then the playoffs start two days later for them. Basically, it's going to be hard to flip the switch, which is why. How bad is Jeff Teague's ankle? Because he tweaked his ankle yeah. last night. Mm-hmm. He averaged eighteen point five points and eleven assists in the four games versus Cleveland. But if he's hurt. How good can Miles Turner be against uh, Tristan? Yeah, hey, there are a bunch of good matchups in here, and you know, Teague's ankle injury isn't really important. Um, I think that I think that what what you know I think what's going to happen is that I could definitely see the Pacers like stealing one of the first two games and everyone panicking like usual, and then the Cavs you know realize maybe by game three and they start flipping the switch really in like game three, and then they they take over the rest of the series. That kind of that kind of series where the Pacers steal a game in Cleveland, everyone starts to panic. Oh no, they're not flipping the switch. Blah blah blah. Um, and then the Cavs like kind of turn it on towards the end of the series, which I think is more likely. Um, it's going to be great to watch Paul George against LeBron. They had that classic like double overtime game a couple weeks ago um you know paul george has really stepped it up i think he's realized the bonus that comes from making the all nba team uh 33 points per game 7.6 rebounds and 4.8 assists per game in april i mean that's just incredible um so if you can keep that up in the playoffs that'd be great to watch him against lebron um but ultimately what i think happens is that you know the Cavs get a little scare early and then just kind of flip the gear and, and and close out the series in five um what's your prediction I think I think probably the Cavaliers take it in five. I hope the Pacers push them to six. Yeah, and it, it's ultimately because of who their second round opponent's going to be. Yeah, it's ultimately going to come down. I mean, it really, one thing obviously, Paul George has to be spectacular for them to to really push it a six. Um, but then, I, I think that's a given. I think it's going to be the others that have to be spectacular. Jeff Teague has to make 
uh, Kyrie Irving work on the defensive end. Miles Turner and Thaddeus Young have to make Kevin Love and uh, Tristan work on the defensive end. Tristan will be fine. It's whether or not players like Monte Ellis can be an X-factor. Can Lance Stevenson be an X-factor? Can Glenn Robinson be an X-factor? There's so many questions. that The bench, I'm not sure of for either team, to be honest, but I think the Cavaliers probably have the edge there. Yeah, the bench has been really questionable for both teams, especially Indiana, over the course of the season. So, all right, let's move on to a series that I want to defer to you to talk about because obviously you cover the Raptors for Raptor Republic, so you're going to have all the ins and outs about the Raptors. A, a series that I talked about in the beginning is one of the more intriguing ones to me, which, um, you know, considering the other series that we've been talking about, you know, haven't been that exciting to watch. Um, Raptors as the three seed against the Bucks as the six seed. I want to hear. I want to hear the initial thoughts from the Raptors Republic writer. All right. Well, let's just throw. Let's just throw this out. We'll all be covering it for sixteen Windsor Ring as well. That is true. Uh, let's just throw this out there. It only took twenty-one years. Twenty-one years, people, for the Raptors not to have to play first in the playoffs, <laughs> and it's because of a young man named Giannis Antetokounmpo. Mm-hmm. So here's a kid. This kid is just. He's one of my favorites to watch. Twenty-two year old ends up ranking in the top 20 in points, rebounds, assists, steals, and blocks, leads his team in all those categories. How crazy is that? Insane. Um, The big thing's going to be uh, the irony of this whole situation with the Raptors getting the 5.30 start instead of the noon start, which we always complain about, but this was the one season, the (laughs) one season, we could have benefited from that noon start because of the youth on the Bucks because they wouldn't really be prepared for a noon start. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, it ultimately comes down. I, I like Middleton a lot. Lots of people are making you know comments about the fact that Middleton held DeRozan to 11 points in the last game and whatever. The bottom line is the Raptors are the most versatile, deepest team in the Eastern Conference, bar none. They have, they have the ability to match up against any type of lineup. They finished the season ranked fourth uh, in the, at, after the All-Star break. They were fourth defensively, I believe. Um, overall, they're the only Eastern Conference team that was in the top ten offensively and defensively. The only other two teams that did that were Golden State and San Antonio on the season. Mm-hmm. So the Raptors, they just have too many weapons. Uh, my my X factor, which will be part of the the sixteen wins a ring piece that I put up, will be PJ Tucker. Now, here's something that's quite interesting. If you look at the experience on the Bucks, of course they have Jason Terry and you know a few other guys that have <clears throat> excuse me played some some minutes there. Tony Snell when he was with um, the Bulls. Um, I think that. Um, Chris Middleton has a little bit of experience from years ago. Michael Beasley, when he was with Miami, uh, Mirza Toledovich, I'm not sure if he has much, maybe with uh, when he was with, was he with uh, Brooklyn before? Is it Mirza? Uh, he was, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, so I think he has some experience against the Raptors. But the reality is that we're looking at a team that has one guy with a lot of experience on their team, and that's Delhi. Uh, Matthew Della Vadova. So here's the thing. 
31 years old, P.J. Tucker. And everyone's talked about Ibaka, and let's not take away anything from Ibaka because the Raptors, Masai Ujiri, for my, for my money, should get executive of the year. I know he probably won't, but for my money, he should because what the Raptors needed coming into the season was to shore up that power forward spot to add grit and to get someone who could possibly guard LeBron James or, or offer a secondary defender to guard LeBron James, and he did that with P.J. Tucker. Mm-hmm. Something we've seen in Toronto since the, the trades is that P.J. Tucker has got DeMar DeRozan playing defense. He's got Jonas Valanciunas moving his cement feet. Valanciunas goes into the playoffs playing some of the best ball he's played ever as a Raptor, even hit a three-pointer last night, go figure. <laughs> um Honestly, I think P.J. Tucker could be the X factor in the series because we know that Delhi is, is like a Pat Beverly type. They'll, they'll come out and they'll do these cheap shots and try and hurt someone. And they'll be, they'll, they'll be a bench brawl if he tries to hurt either of Lowry or DeRozan. So uh, I think he's a player that automatically plays at 100% anyway. He's not like a rookie coming into the playoffs without any playoff experience. He feeds off of getting the crowds going and changing momentum. So I think P.J. Tucker could be an X factor. Stopping Antetokounmpo is going to be the issue. But we've got Serge Ibaka. We've got Jonas Valanciunas. We've got Patrick Patterson. We've got even the, the rookie, Jakob Pertl, who moved ahead of Nagira. Uh, in terms of uh, minutes, and they can always throw, as we say, Lucas Nagura out there to block the paint as well. They have to force Antetokounmpo into being uh, a field goal shooter. They have to make sure that they stop the transition. And I, I, I'm not sold that there's anyone else. Yes, Middleton's great, but I'm not sold there's anyone beyond those two who can do much. I actually see this series only going five, with the Raptors taking it in five. Uh, yeah, I mean, I my prediction is kind of cheap. I have Raptors in five or six, so I guess it didn't technically pick a length. Um, and I have the Raptors winning the first game, which they've never done in the playoffs, too. They'll learn from their lessons. The Raptors always learn from their lessons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I basically, I mean, you basically said everything I wanted to say. I think... I think the Raptors have the recipe for a really good playoff run. As you mentioned, the fourth best defense since the All-Star break, the fifth best net rating since the All-Star break. You said top 10 in both sides of the ball, which is an indicator of an elite team. Only the Spurs and Warriors did that for the entire course of the season. And fourth best record after the All-Star break. Yeah, so all the indications of the Raptors playing post-All-Star break is really great and elite numbers. And they did it without Lowry. Exactly. Awesome. Yeah, so, I mean, I had the Raptors as really big winners at the trade deadline, and it's clearly evident that they were, and this is where those trades come into effect, you know, this, this elite defense in the playoffs, having people to guard, um, eventually LeBron, if they play him in the next round, um, I think is extremely important for the Raptors, and for the Bucks, it, it's just good to get in the playoffs, get some experience, no one really, sure. no one really expected them to do anything, especially once Parker went down, um, sure. so it's... I mean, they've got, they've got Kidd, who who's knows how to beat them, has done it before, Kidd played underneath Casey. The mm-hmm. year that they won the championship, right? Yeah. So, I mean, the Raptors have the best fourth quarter team in the league this season. They have a stat that's not something they should be very proud of, but it shows that they never give up. And that stat is that the Raptors have, uh, they had this wrong on NBA.com. They had 20 times the Raptors have trailed by more than 10 points and come back and won. They've actually done it 21 times. 
So the Raptors know how to win when they get into the clutch. And their defense, their options on defense, I don't know whether we'll see DeLon Wright get any time on the court, but that kid is going to be a star in this league. And he's someone who they could throw in as an option. We're going to see, I think, uh, Norman Powell and DeLon Wright maybe get some serviceable minutes in the first round. Lowry's injury ended up servicing the Raptors very, very well. Because, yes, it worked against them in terms of getting him to get gain some chemistry with Ibaka and, and Tucker. But what it did is it allowed Corey Joseph to start and get some confidence. It, and he wasn't playing this year like he has been the last couple of seasons. He enters the playoffs at an all-time high confidence level-wise. If you saw the game last night, you saw him taking shots just like he knew they were going in. You've got DeLon Wright, you've got even Fred Van Vliet, who's like a junior uh, Lowry, who's capable of... They've got four guards that can start on almost every team in the league. Isn't that crazy? Lowry, Corey Joseph, DeLon Wright, and Van Vliet. I was hoping OKC would pick up Van Vliet because he'd be a perfect backup to Westbrook. Anyway, I digress. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I just... I love this Raptors team. This is the most hyped I've ever been about a Raptors team since their existence. I really feel strongly about this team. I do think that they have to be careful to guard against getting um, placid and, and just letting the Bucks come at them. But basically, I think we'll see the Raptors come out and lay a thumping on the Bucks in the first game. Maybe they get a little bit held back in the second game. But I'd like to see the Raptors take a 2-0 series lead go to the Bucks. maybe the Bucks win one at home which would be great for them take the third ga- fourth game and then come home and win it because the one lesson they had to learn from last season is we can't go seven games every series yeah that, that's a really key thing for the for the Raptors they've got to close out the series at, uh, as soon as possible when they're favored in these series and I think that the Raptors experience and their defense will overwhelm the Bucks. that's why I think it'll go five the Bucks will get good playoff experience they'll get a nice victory most likely at home but ultimately, I think the Raptors will just be too much and close it out in five to uh, prepare themselves for most likely uh, the Cavs in round two. Let's move on to the final Eastern Conference playoff round one series. We've got the four-seeded Washington Wizards against the fifth-seeded Atlanta Hawks. This is uh, this is a seri- interesting series. It's ser- it's interesting. I'm not exactly looking forward to it, but there are there are some interesting dynamics. I mean, the Hawks have had the worst offense in the league since the All Star break, but they've also had the third best defense during that time. So it's clear how they're winning games. But they are still 11 and 14 since the All Star break, and they really are a really good Jekyll and Hyde team. You really just don't. It's streaky, eh? You really don't know what you're ever going to get from the Hawks, which is why it's so hard to rely on them in the playoffs. Meanwhile, the Wizards have cooled off. They're 15 and 11 since the All Star break, ninth in offense, which sounds good. But then you look at their defense, and they're 27th. 27th in defense. So everyone's talking about the Cavs, and rightly so, because LeBron's on the team, so many expectations and stuff like that, so much attention. But the Wizards... I worry less about the Wizards' defense than I do the Cavaliers, because they have the players to make the difference. Yeah, I agree with that. But still, 27th in defense is really concerning for the Wizards. The Wizards won the season series 3-1. This will be a rematch of their... uh, Second round series, was it two years ago when the Hawks... Yeah, two years ago. Uh, No, no, three years ago. No, two. Yeah. Uh, I think it's two, right? Am I going crazy? I think it might be three because two years ago was when the Raptors got swept by them. Okay, so three years ago when the when the Hawks beat the Wizards in six games, but Wall missed, I think, two or three of those games. So Wizards looking for some kind of quasi-revenge in the playoffs. Um... I think the Wizards are going to take this in five games. I really just have no faith in the Hawks. No, 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 no. 
I just don't. I'm sorry. I can't have faith in the Hawks. What do you say? No, I think it's going at least six. Here's the thing. When you look at the Hawks, what you have to remember, the interesting factor for me is in the game that they came back and beat the Cavaliers, both Dwight Howard and Dennis Schroeder were sitting on the bench. Mm-hmm. So the X factor for, for Atlanta... The thing is, they start, They had a nine-game losing streak, and then they turned around and had a nine-game winning streak. <laughs> Both these teams are very – they vacillate back and forth between wins and losses. Um, I think that Atlanta has the players. The key is stopping Wall and Beal from the penetration, right? Yeah. They have the ability to guard the three-point line. They have the ability to stop transition and guard the paint with Dwight Howard. They have a, 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 the potential to be a top defensive team, as you noted. So for me, part of the reason why the Hawks went on a bit of a losing streak towards the end of the season before they flipped it around this last ten games was because Paul Millsap was hurt. Yeah, they are terrible without Millsap. Yeah, I mean, when Paul Millsap was with Utah, I was jumping up and down wanting the Raptors to get him. I'm quite happy we ended up with the Baca, but he was the player that I really, really wanted because I think he's one of, like George Hill, I think he's one, and Mike Conley, he's one of the most underrated players in the NBA. So, on both ends of the floor. If you look at, if you go and pull up their stats, let me just see here. Looking at their stats, Paul Millsap. All right, so. Yeah, he's been spectacular. 18.1 points, 7.7 rebounds, 3.7 assists from your power forward, 1.3 steals, almost a block per game, shoots 44% from the field. He's a little down this year in terms of his three-point percentage, but he's one of those guys that will hit it, like get a dagger in your face when need be. Ken Kent Bay's more control is his... uh, his nerves how good can Tim Hardaway who's been very confident of late mm-hmm. be how how healthy is Thabo Cephalosha um, can some of the guys like uh, Torian Prince and some of their younger guys be a factor I honestly think this this series goes longer than you think I think it goes six possibly seven these two teams tended to go right down to the wire a lot in in the season and I think we're going to see more of that in the playoffs. I think this could be a home-and-home home series, and we may see the Wizards winning in seven. Um, yeah, so I, I, I see this as being a more tightly contested series than you do, mostly because of Millsap. And Dwight Howard's going to have one game where he just overperforms for them, I think. Um, and the other X factor, obviously, is Dennis Schroeder, what he can do and whether or not he can control be, uh, Beal and Wall. I mean, when the Raptors played them, he was not able to do anything with Lowry or DeRozan, so they probably Washington will feast on them, you know? So, I don't know. You could be right. It could be a quick series, but something in my gut tells me this one's going to go deep. Yeah, and I think that I think that the kind of how much of an advantage the Wizards actually get in their backcourt matchup will kind of determine how long the series goes. Um, but again, I mean, you know, you you could make good points about why the series could go long. Both teams are just so fluky, um, and the Hawks have such a great defense since the All Star break that you know they can just grind out some games. Um, so I, I do, I really don't think it's crazy for the series to go seven games. Um, six games is certainly realistic, um, but I, I definitely think that Wizards will win mainly because of home court advantage and just because I think they're a little bit more reliable than the Hawks since the All-Star break, where it's just so Jekyll and Hyde. Right, and the Wizards aren't going to fall to the same kind of pressure that Boston will, for example, if they lose a game. They've been there, done that before, you know? Yeah, yeah that's a crucial aspect of it as well. But, yeah, I do think it's going to go six or seven. All right. And also, do we think Otto Porter is going to be a factor? 
You know? That is true. That is true. He has fallen off a little bit since the All-Star break. So Yeah, but I, I like him, and yeah. he needs to have a good series just for his free agency, right? Yeah, that's true. All right, let us move to the Western Conference, where we should get some really high-scoring affairs. Um, let's start off with the Warriors, one seed, of course, uh, against the eighth-seeded Blazers. Um, so what are your initial thoughts on this series, and, and you know how long will it last? I have three questions when it comes to this series, basically around the Trailblazers. Mm-hmm. Damian Lillard grew up in Oakland, so and he's been one of the hottest players coming down the stretch. So you can, you have to kind of expect he's going to have a couple blowout games where he just lights them up, number one. Number two, C.J. McCollum has been on the opposite end of things, cold as ice. Mm-hmm. So can he flip the switch and get into playoff mold and number three part of the reason the Blazers have been so good is they finally Neil O'Shea finally got someone serviceable other than one of those overrated Plumleys <laughs> and traded to get Yusuf Nurkic who did amazing things for the team but is out with that fracture in his leg when does he come back is the big question because they're seven, 17 of their last 23 with since they acquired Nurkic. Now, what I heard is that Nurkic is on the floor getting shots up, but without any kind of one-on-one contact, which tells me that he's still at least a week or two away, and the series could be over by then. Yeah. If they have Nurkic, maybe there's something to it. We, I mean, Durant's played 31, 33, and 27 minutes since rejoining the lineup. Is there any kind of uh, fallback from that in terms of them figuring out? Because the, the Golden State was on like a real, um, real terror to end going into the the stretch, and then Kevin Durant comes back. Does that play any havoc? I doubt it. I don't see it. It, it could easily be a sweep, but I do think that Damian's going to win one in front of his hometown. Maybe not in front of Oakland, but I think he'll have like one of those like star-making performances, you know? Yeah, that's why I'm basically picking Warriors in five. One, it's, it's, just, it's really hard to sweep teams, um, and I think that the explosiveness of, of Lillard and potentially McCollum, if he gets back on the right track, will basically win the, the Blazers a home game with that really great crowd they have. Um, but that aspect you brought up about integrating Kevin Durant back in is really interesting because how does the dynamic work down the stretch of, of close playoff games? You know, you might not get that many close games in this series, but moving forward, because yeah. remember in the in the beginning part of the season, the, the Warriors deferred to Kevin Durant during crunch time, and it kind of bothered Steph and he was kind of a little bit cold um, and things like that Kevin Durant goes down the team goes on an absolute tear and now Kevin Durant comes back with a couple games to go before the playoffs so I think that integrating him back into the series and into the playoff run will be extremely important to watch and extremely interesting sure Sure, that's the irony isn't it because everyone thought that Clay was going to be the one that would have to sacrifice in reality it was Curry yeah. Steph, Steph was the one that had to sacrifice, very much akin to what happened with Dwayne Wade and LeBron James. Durant doesn't like to be number two, as we figured out, and as you know, we've seen over in OKC, there are players that can play better when they're given an opportunity, but there's certain guys that demand to have the ball. Will Kevin Durant fall into habits? They say that every player... Uh, naturally trends towards their habits, which is Kevin Durant trends towards iso ball in those situations. If they get pushed into situations where they have to have someone shooting in the clutch, does he 
remember to pass the ball, and that's usually been where him and Draymond have gotten into it, right? Yeah, and and you know they don't want to move away from their incredible ball movement, ball movement, which is one of the great reasons of why their offense is so explosive and basically unstoppable. So down the stretch, you know, they if they avoid that ball movement, avoid those cutting, and just go to Kevin Durant and ISO, you know, you could see some disgruntled teammates, some uh, poor like body language and stuff like that. So I think that watching the really big thing to watch in the series is how they begin integrating Kevin Durant back in, you know, with the thought of looking forward to the next series or two down the stretch in the playoffs. Um, you know, you mentioned, you know, the Blazers have improved. Their defense has been improved. They're 10th in the league defensively since the All-Star break, but it's just not going to be good enough to contain the Warriors' offensive attack, um, especially without Nurkic there. Um, again, you mentioned we don't really know when he's going to come back. He could be coming back by the time the series is over. So, um, yeah, and, and also how the, how the Warrior, uh, how the Blazers control the, the games that they've lost have they've been blown out in the first couple quarters now mind you they haven't played each other recently have they they haven't played since they got Nurkic uh, so that could play a fact if Nurkic comes back I mean this is everything seems to be reliant on whether Nurkic comes back let's face it the Blazers have a decent team that can play on both ends of the court, but they never had a front court. Neil O'Shea went out and spent all this money making them the second highest paid team prior to the trade for Nurkic, which was ridiculous, paying Evan Turner. Like, what the heck was Neil O'Shea thinking bringing Evan Turner to that team? Like, I still don't get it, right? Alan Crabb is starting to show that, you know, he was someone worthy of an investment. I'm not sure uh, if he was worthy of the investment they gave him, but I do like Alan Crabb as a player. I really like Mo Harkless. I think he's the X factor for the Blazers. Yeah, he's he's a solid player. the other player, sorry, the, the big X factor for them, who I love... Is what's his name? Let's say gotta pull it up here. Is he's one of my favorite players. You know when you watch um, NHL hockey and there's that player that doesn't do anything during the year and then suddenly <laughs> the playoffs hit and he gets ten goals. Yeah. Alpha Rukaminu is the player that I love watching in the playoffs. He always raises his game in the playoffs. I'll bet you before the series is done, whenever they're they're ousted. His points per game, his three points, everything on his board will be higher than it was for regular season. He's one of those players that shows up when the lights are brightest. Yeah, and he's a really dynamic player, really good defender. You can he can hit some kind of occasional three if he's left open, which he probably will be. Um, he'll force Kevin to defend, that's for sure, unless they put Draymond on him. But we'll yeah, see. so he's he's an interesting player to watch. So I'm gonna go with Warriors in five, and uh, yeah. you you going okay. Warriors in five? Yeah, agree. All right, let's move on to... Although we both will put a little star there saying it could easily be four. Yes, yes, exactly. All right, let's move on to a rematch, the exact same 2-7 matchup that we got last year, except the Grizzlies will actually have uh, NBA-level talent on the floor this time. Uh, you got the Spurs at the two-seed against the Grizzlies as the seventh seed. This is an interesting series um, because while I like to think that the Grizz will, will be able to push San Antonio, and I actually do think that they will... It's hard to make a case for the Grizzlies because they've been really struggling. They're 9-14 and 14 since the All-Star break, a negative 2.8 net rating. They're 21st in defense during that time, which is not exactly... Which you, you don't get used to that from the grit and grind days of the Grizzlies. And they're only 16th in offense as well. So they just really haven't been a good team since the All-Star break. You know... Exactly. You know, I mean, everyone was talking about, remember during the beginning of the year when everyone was like, oh, the eighth seed is like nine games behind the seventh seed, so there's no point. There's no, you know, no worry of falling out of the playoffs. Well, the Grizzlies only finished two games better than the, the Blazers. That's how hot the Blazers got and how cold the Grizzlies got. So, you know, 
I'm saying that, and yet I still think there's something in the back of my mind that really thinks that this could go six games. I think ultimately the Spurs will win in five, but I would not be shocked to see uh, you know Spurs have to go to six games because I think that the Grizzlies, you know, they do have guys Conley and Gasol and Randolph off the bench uh, who could definitely push the Spurs. Who a lot of the key guys in the Spurs are not where they used to be. Parker is a shell of himself. Aldridge has has, has declined. Um, of course, you got Kawhi Leonard there is great. Paul Gasol is is a real liability on defense. There are some guys in the Spurs that the Grizzlies can expose. Of course, the same goes for the Spurs exposing guys on the Grizzlies. Um, but right now, I think I'm going to go with Spurs. I don't know if I should go five or six, but uh, I'll let you give your thoughts on the series before I make my final prediction. Oh, you. <laughs> um, I mean, this is like an annual rite of passage for the Spurs and the Grizzlies to have to face each other. It's their fifth meeting in the playoffs and the fourth time in the last seven seasons they've played each other. Spurs have won three times by a sweep, including last season, but that's when Conley was injured. Conley is is uh, definitely someone to keep an eye on. Part of, I think, the regression of, of Memphis had to do with Gasol nursing that injury, right? Yeah. We've got mm. something you failed to mention that I, I'm sure is on your list and you're going to kick yourself is this is the, the matchup of the brothers. Yes, got I forgot. Mark, Mark and Powell playing each other, right? So that's interesting. That is fascinating. Um, yeah, I mean, I love so much about Memphis. I love the fact that He's probably not going to win six man, but I really loved how Zebo took to playing the bench and did it with no problems. You've got the forty year old Vince Carter still dunking and doing things <laughs> you never expected. You know, you've got again Mike Conley, you know, the highest paid point guard now, and he he is a tough character. He really is. Mm-hmm. Now, with Tony Allen going down, that's that's not good. Um, um, can we just admit that Chandler Parsons is the biggest wash ever in the league? Like, what a joke that is. Um, I, 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 you you pick out all the points that I had. The bottom line is Tony Parker has been nursing so many injuries. Being in the league so many years and getting to so many finals and getting so deep in the playoffs and also playing for his French national team has been a factor in terms of his injuries, I think. Patty Mills is going to be interesting to see what he does. Can Danny Green find any semblance of the player the last time that the Spurs won the championship? Can he return to that type of player? Do you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, that's like, crucial. He's he's literally this season. He's he's you know he's up to thirty seven point nine percent shooting from the three, but he's only shooting thirty nine point two percent overall. Not a great factor. He's only getting seven point three points per game. So he's regressed as well. But we're talking about the claw here. We're talking about <laughs> Kawhi Leonard. We're talking about a team that got over 60 wins. We're talking about a team that lost Tim Duncan and still factored in the top three of defenses. We're talking about a team that had the best road record. So I don't think that the Parker situation, which is the notes that I had as well, is as much of an issue in this series. And it, it would behoove, you know, Pop is going to be on them. As much as I think the Grizzlies will give them a fight, I think Pops is going to be on them big time to try and sweep this series. I think what we're going to start to see, Kawhi Leonard will raise his level of game similar to what we saw when they played OKC that game, when he had the block on Westbrook and then went down and hit the shot, or how they played Houston. Mm-hmm. I just think that they're going to come out and fire, and I think we're going to see 
the throwback to Manu Ginobili because Manu has not played well against the Grizzlies this season without Tony Allen in in the. If he has to miss one of the first couple games, they'll take an easy commanding 2-0 lead. So at most it would go five. I think I honestly don't see as much as I agree with you. This has the potential to do something. I think what we're going to see is the Grizzlies will possibly be in a couple of games late and then Mm -hmm. Kawhi will take over and win it for them. Yeah. Yeah. You basically said a lot of stuff that I want to briefly talk about. The, uh, Tony Parker dilemma really won't be highlighted in this series because, uh, I can't remember. I was listening to a podcast and someone mentioned it where the Spurs could really, uh, if they want to hide Tony Parker, especially on defense where he's an extreme liability, they could actually put him on Tony Allen, who's also a liability on offense when Allen gets back. And like you said, how many games Allen misses is, is crucial because one of the questions is, you know, how will Tony Allen do guarding Kawhi? Because they're going to probably put him on there. Um, if he has to miss a game or two, I agree with you completely. The Spurs will probably take a really commanding lead. And you have convinced me to go Spurs in five. I, I do agree that they will be, Pop will be on them to end the series as quick as possible to rest up, which is crucial for them down this stretch with a lot of their guys being pretty elderly, to say the least. Um, so they need to be rested for the play, longer playoff series that they'll get, second round, third round, etc. Um, so while I think that the Grizzlies will push San Antonio and uh, just... For anyone listening, if you want a really slow, grinded out series, this is for you. Memphis finished 28th in pace. The Spurs finished 27th. The Spurs were the number one defense in the league. The Grizzlies were the number seven defense in the league. So if you're expecting offensive fireworks, this is not your series. But uh, with that being said, I think you have convinced me to go Spurs in five. Okay. All right. Let's move on. Jonathan Simmons, we're both battling cold, sorry people. Uh, Jonathan Simmons is my X Factor. Yeah, uh, especially I want to see a couple more dunks from him before the season ends. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, let's move on to the 3 6 matchup. Uh, we've got the three seated Houston Rockets. I thought we were going to save that for last. Ah. Uh, I, I, you know, we can, but if it, I feel like that might throw off the uh, whole order of the uh, episode. It's up to you, though. Okay. No, it's fine. All right, uh, we got the three seated. This probably is, I'd say, between this and the uh, Clippers Jazz, which we'll talk about after this. And yeah, both, both these series are going to be pretty exciting. Yeah, so we got the three seed Houston Rockets, six seed Oklahoma City Thunder. Um, if you've been living under a rock, you have not heard about this series yet, or the players that are playing in this series, uh, specifically the two MVP candidates, James Harden versus Russell Westbrook, which I'm kind of sick of hearing because this series, I think. One, they almost never guard each other. And two, this series will probably come down to the supporting cast. So I get why the national media is going crazy about promoting this series and why it's getting the primetime slots. Uh, but, you know, if you want to dig deeper, it's not going to only be about the Beard versus the Brody, though those two obviously will be the driving forces of their teams. So the most interesting thing about this series and why I think it's one of the most exciting ones in the first round is how contrasting the styles are between the teams. You've got the high-powered offense in Houston, the tough physical defensive team in Oklahoma City, really contrasting styles that really, you know, a bunch of these series in the first round don't have that. We just talked about a, a, a series that's going to be basically mirroring each other with the Spurs against the Grizzlies, slow defensive teams. This one is the exact opposite, contrasting styles. Um, some other things that I've written down about this series that are really important to note is that Harden has severely struggled against the Thunder this season. The first three games he played against them this series, this season, during the regular season, were extremely poor. The last one was was pretty good. Um, and they have uh, the Thunder have Andre Roberson, who's done an excellent job. If he doesn't make an all-defensive team, it really will be a crime. Um, okay. 
He's held Harden uh, to 34.3% from the field, 22.6% on threes during the season series. Um, the other thing I have to written down about the series that I'll really probably decide it is, you know, can the Thunder guard the Rockets' spread offense on the perimeter and what this will do to the Thunder's front court minutes? Um, you know, we saw, I think, yeah, it was the fourth game the teams played on that Sunday ABC game where the Rockets were just lights out from the behind the arc. And uh, Taj Gibson's minutes were limited because he couldn't guard Trevor Ariza as a small ball four. Now, Ariza will be back to small four with Anderson back, um, but the Rockets' shooting can force the Thunder to go small. And um, if they do have to go small, the Thunder, I would love to see Taj Gibson at center because he's someone who can switch on to James Harden in the pick and roll and guard him, you know, relatively effectively compared to other big men. Um, so that's those are my kind of key aspects of the season of the series. You know, how will Harden do figuring out Roberson's defense and the Thunder team defense? How will the Thunder do guarding the Rockets spread offense? And, and really, how will the Rockets shoot from beyond the arc, which basically with the Rockets, if they're cold, you can beat them any night. If they're hot, they're almost impossible to beat. So those are just a couple of notes I've got. And of course, I've got to take your perspective on this series. Oh, obviously. Um, I mean, this this part of this, I think, is going to come down what what I've I've focused on all season when it comes to Oklahoma City is they they fell off a bit defensively after the break, but what happened during that time was that they improved offensively dramatically. So they ended up finishing 14th um, after the all uh, post All Star break offensively, but they were scoring 107 points per game, which was much higher than they were on the season. Their defense fell off, but their defense is built. It's built for the for the playoffs. Yeah. Now, do they take some notes out of Golden State's book and force James Harden one way? Because if you notice when Golden State plays Houston, they force James Harden. What is it? He always go, likes to go left? He always goes yeah, left. Yeah. yeah, so they forced him to the right. So I, I think that we'll see whether or not Billy Donovan has any prowess at figuring these things out. And I also agree Taj Gibson's going to play a big role. How much can Steven Adams pick up his play? How much, uh, if you look at Ennis Cantor, he's improved defensively this year. So if you've got Cantor playing any minutes at all against Ryan Anderson, who likes to catch flies on defense, that could be an interesting matchup. But you're right, it comes down to whether or not they can stop them on the perimeter. It comes down to do they force Harden right? Do they force him to get shots out to his players and then defend the perimeter well? Um, I mean, the bottom line is that that this is this will as as much as you don't want to say that it's a Harden versus Westbrook, it is to a certain extent. And they did rest Roberson. He kind of tweaked his knee a little bit. They rested him some games. I don't think it was really because of the knee. I think they were resting him up to play against Harden. Mm-hmm. I, I'll, I'll just throw that out there. I could be completely wrong, but. Patrick Beverly is going to be persona non grata in OKC. We already know that because of the cheap punk-ass movie did way back a couple seasons ago that put Russell Westbrook uh, under the knife for the, and missed his first game ever out of his high school, college, and pro career. So you know, we know that that's a factor. I do think he's a highly overrated defender. That's just my personal opinion. I've never been a big fan of his. But I think Trevor Ariza is going to play a big factor in this series. And you're right. Do they get hot from behind the arc? Is this a situation where if they're stopped, uh, can OKC slow them down, play solid transition defense and solid perimeter defense? Because they're not a team necessarily. Yes, I know Maury's um, analytics has them 
going to the basket like it's all dunks and and threes but i mean it's gonna be really tough but at the same token much like you think about the grizzlies and spurs series i see this series being one of those series it could either easily be an easy five and out for for the rockets or it could turn into a series that goes seven Oh yeah, I definitely think I definitely think this series is going at least six, but I think it's extremely realistic it goes seven games. And uh, one of the things you were uh, talking about, I really do agree about Trevor Ariza being extremely important. Um, when he's rested and he's engaged on the defensive end, it's a, in crucial, but also him hitting his shots is important. Um, you know, uh, I do agree. Resting Roberson, you know, maybe he was injured, resting that injury, but, you know, the thing with Roberson is that his minutes should be always correlated with Harden. So if I was if I was Billy Donovan, if I see Harden going to the scorers table, I'm sending Roberson to the scorers table. If I see Harden going out, I'm sending out Rob- I'm taking out Roberson. Roberson should always be guarding Harden whenever he's on the floor. Um, that's probably the best way to guard Harden one on one. And Grant could get some minutes on him too. They they don't want to have the same guy on them because. Harden will figure him out if they keep him on him the whole series. They've got to they've got to mix it up a little bit. I think. Yeah, I, I can see that too. And the other important thing about guarding the Rockets' offense is if you can guard the pick and roll with two guys. So if you can get your perimeter defender and your big man, probably a Roberson and an Adams against the uh, Harden Capella pick and roll. If Roberson and Adams can guard that straight up by themselves, then the Thunder will defense will be extremely successful in guarding the Rockets' offense. If they can't and they need a help defender to come into the paint to stop the pick and roll, that opens up one of the, one of the other shooters on the perimeter for Houston. So that's another crucial aspect of guarding the Rockets' offense. And uh, like you said, the Thunder's defense is built for the playoffs. We always... And, and you've got... Okay, it has to be said. From March 9th, the next 16 games, Russell Westbrook got 12 triple-doubles out of 16 games. Mm-hmm. In three games, Dallas, Orlando, and Denver, he single-handedly brought them back from behind to win. Mm-hmm. He has that X factor. If you go back to when Kevin Durant was still on the OKC Thunder team, the year that they got to the finals, go back to the first series against the Lakers. It was Russell Westbrook that was the X factor, not Kevin Durant. He was the one that did things in the game to get them the wins. There is no discounting. The thing is about one of the smartest things I think that Mark Cuban's ever done, and he finally got past them in that game when they won uh, and came back from behind, is if you get in Russell Westbrook's head, it can play damages, right? So we've seen it this year with Golden State. But, you know, he'll get over that eventually. But he doesn't have that same issue playing against his friend James Harden, you know? so The only thing I would say about that is that Beverly has gotten in his head a little bit where Russ will start to, like, chase fouls to get Beverly in foul trouble, and sometimes it will hurt his game a little bit. Of course, that doesn't really limit him in any way, but at stretches, Beverly just likes to get in his head, and of course, you, I would not be surprised if we get a little bit of a mini mini brawl slash a lot of technicals. Oh, I, I think that he's going to go after him and try and get him in technical trouble, so he has to sit out a game. I honestly believe that will be one of the key factors that he'll try to do, because Russell's up there in technicals. I don't know. Does that carry over? Does that carry over to the playoffs? Yeah. Oh, because... Um, green, right? 
That's true. So uh, I think Russ is ac- I actually technical, so it could play a role. I actually, I actually do think that Russ is one away, one technical away from being suspended for a game. So, you know, if he can control himself, that's great. Um, if Beverly can get him into his head and he gets the technical and he gets suspended a game, then the Thunder are seriously be in trouble for that game. Um, yeah, what Doug McDermott does, I mean, he's still yet to find a groove. That could be an X factor for for OKC. But I got to tell you, all those players are on a high. They really, they really love each other and they really enjoyed the fact that Russ did that, especially the guys that stayed with the team after Kevin Durant left, the fact that he may win MVP, and it looks like right now the votes are leaning that way. Russell kind of, I mean, here's the thing. You could give it to either one of James Harden or Russell Westbrook, and I know that we've we've talked about this uh, ad ad nauseum, both of us, about why each is deserving. My key factor when I look at the two teams is is who James Harden has. And when I go down the three-point percentage, okay, you've got Trevor Ariza shooting 34.3, Eric Gordon 37.2, Patrick Beverly 38.3, Ryan Anderson 40.4. Lou Williams is only shooting 31.5%, but he gets his his numbers. Um, Sam Decker 32%. Is Decker out or healthy with the hand? He'll almost guaranteed miss this first-round series. Okay, Nene shoots 33% from three. You know, you well, only on only times. on only on three attempts, though. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, and Bobby Brown, same thing. And Kyle Wilcher, those guys. But reality is, then I then I go up to the Thunder. Okay, so let me compare that to the Thunder. You've got Oladipo, thirty-six point one percent. Mm-hmm. I'm looking. I'm mm-hmm. looking. <laughs> uh, Jeremy Grant, thirty-seven point seven on one point five attempts, but he doesn't get a lot of minutes. And Alex Brins, who's not healthy, 38.1. That's it. That's it. Yeah. So when you compare the two teams and who they have as as their backups, that's why the tendency has been to look at Russell because there's no denying 33-9. and nine. When he scores a triple-double, they win. So whatever has to be said about about the two guys, I, I think that James Harden has done an amazing job this year. I knew he would coming back because if you go back to two, three seasons ago, I felt that he should have beat Curry. The first season that Curry won the MVP, I felt Harden should have won it because he carried the Rockets that season with Trevor Ariza. They were the only two guys that stayed healthy. Dwight missed all those games. All their players were hurt, and I felt that Harden deserved the MVP that season. Then and that was coming off the year after he got lambasted on social media for his defense. Then he came back and had that great season. Last year he had he got the same kind of uh, negative press and he came back. So I knew that he would be really good this year as well. Uh, d- going back to your point, will Harden have a breakout game? Probably. I can't see Robertson holding him down. Uh, yeah, Robertson holding him down for the whole series, but I do think it's an interesting series, and it really how much will get into their heads if OKC can hold them under their averages for the first couple of games, does that start to play havoc with their heads? How well can Houston play defensively? That's that's another aspect, and the other, the, the biggest aspect is the three-point shooting with the Rockets. Since March, since March 1st, they are 21st in the league, shooting only 34.2% from three. Now, of course, they take 40 attempts, so so much volume, they still make 14 a game. But the percentages have been really bad for a while. Eric Gordon, has his shooting has fallen off a cliff. He he, he was basically at 40% basically a Does month. Does that or, cost him six man? 
I'm. I think it. I think it will. I think it'll cost him the six man. Trevor Reza's three point percentage down to thirty four, which is below league average. So you know they take a lot of three. Do you, real, do you realize that the Rockets, who are the third place team, could end up winning Coach of the Year, Executive of the Year, Six Man of the Year, and MVP? But I have a. Does that make sense to you for a third place team? I have a. I have an exact theory about that when. And I said this. I said this when the Rockets were flying high after like January, when they were like com- competing for the second seed. And I said that this team, I said that this team is not going to win more than two awards if they win two at all, because that never happens. It never happens. Even the Warriors last year only won two awards. Um, you know who I want to see win an award and he won't? James Johnson on Miami. I know. I think he'll be. I think he'll finish in third. I think he'll get it. I, I think, think he's going to be in the running for two awards, both for most improved and six man. Rudy Gobert is going to fall under the same situation. He should be in the running for most improved and defensive player, and he won't probably win either. Yeah. So it, it, you know, it's interesting, and uh, you know, we could talk about awards for a whole other hour. Huh? Yeah, I have the, I have the Rockets in seven. Um, I just think that the. I'm seven and Russ then then OKC wins. That's that's my pick. So I have the Rockets winning in six, but if it goes seven, I have the the OKC winning. I think that the seventh game just being in Houston just kind of puts it over the edge for the Rockets. No, no, um, no, no, I think. Uh, would you want to face Russell Westbrook in a seven game? Oh, absolutely not. I wouldn't want to face him in any game. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's, he's just that guy that will do what he did. That shot that he hit against Denver, I knew it was going in before he even got past the ball. And I knew he was going to take it from out there. And his three-point shooting's improved. He actually shoots better in the games against Harden from three than Harden does. Yeah. How he, crazy is that? Yeah, and uh, so that'll... Exactly. It's been an incredible yeah. season. Let's talk about Clint Capella. How how well will Clint Capella be able to guard Russell? Because let's go back earlier in the season. The one game that OKC did win was the game where he used his left hand to dunk on Capella <laughs> <laughs> and then strutted it out. Yeah. Is he going to be able to do anything inside there? And is is okay? And my second question to you is: Will Eric Gordon and Ryan Anderson make it through this series healthy? Listen, I, I don't know what... You know, the, the real MVP of the year is the Houston Rockets training staff for keeping these guys healthy. Uh, Gordon, the Rockets had the mo- the least amount of games missed due to injury this year. It's incredible. Anderson ended up missing, I think, around 11 games and, you know, fine. Gordon, I think, played 76 games, which is really incredible for him and the training staff. However... Shout out that point. I'll... I'll- do a little hometown magic here too. The fact that the Raptors had DeRozan missed twelve games, Patterson missed eighteen, Kyle missed twenty three, and were, ended up with the same record as Cleveland at the end of the season is pretty remarkable as well. It is. Um, but going back to Gordon, the reason why I mentioned him specifically for the shooting falling off is I have a theory that this guy has not played this many games in a season since his rookie year. So those legs are not used to playing this deep into the season. He usually, he's usually out for the year by now. Um, I gained a lot of respect for him this season, and he's been pretty good defensively, from what I thought. Yeah, a lot. Really surprising on how good he's been defensively. Nothing great, but a lot better than expected. Um, back to Capella. Um, yeah. The Rockets do lack rim protection. Capella is averaging about eight rebounds a game in twenty-three minutes a game, so he gets his boards. But he is not a—he's not a bit—he's not a big guy. He's tall. He's not bulky, so he can definitely be moved around, especially by a guy like Stephen Adams. 
he's a decent shot blocker, but he's not someone that Russ will fear driving into the paint at all. His defense. You know okay, see. Uh, leads the league in rebounding, right? Exactly. A, a key thing that they're going to have to do is expose the Rockets on the glass, especially on the offensive glass. Enos Cantor destroyed them on the offensive glass in that final game of the season series, um, but the Rockets were hot enough from beyond the, heart, beyond the arc to not make it a difference. But in a game where the Rockets are cold and the Thunder have a distinct advantage on the boards, it's going to be a toss-up game, which is why I think it goes seven games. But uh, it's really, I think, the most fascinating series. I mean, we could just tell we talked about it for the most time, so... Yeah, well, we both cover those teams, too. This is true, but... I mean, I could have waxed poetic about the Raptors for a long time, too, but, you know, and it is what it is. <laughs> yeah, and we're not even going to get a letdown because the final series we'll talk about is, I think, really just as interesting, yeah, almost. I, think, I actually think, especially if Houston takes out OKC early, this could be the series that is the most interesting. Yeah, so we're talking about, of course, the four-seeded Clippers against the fifth-seeded Jazz. The Clippers won the season series 3-1, and actually a good amount of those games were really tough defensive battles. So the first game went 88-75, second game 88-72, the final game was 108-95. These aren't exactly high-scoring affairs because we know the Jazz have an elite defense. Um, and the real question about this Clippers team, um, is is this the final run for them? We all know Blake is going to be a free agent, CP3 is going to be a free agent, Reddick will be a free agent. Yeah. There are rumors about Doc Rivers going back to Orlando to take a GM coaching role there. So yeah, it could be the uh, last stand for the Clippers, um, which makes this series even more interesting because if they lose, uh, things could really blow up for the Clippers. And we talked about the Jazz trying to stay healthy. We, this team has had a lot of bad luck staying healthy. Um, I think you dove through all the games to see who played where. Um, but I think that this is probably the most pick series out of every single series in the first round. Um you know, I think in the end, I'm going Clippers in seven. I think only because of the home court advantage. I did, that's really what it came down to. It's really pick them for me. Um, so what are your thoughts on the series? Yeah, I, I think it's unfortunate that the Jazz couldn't get the home court. Mm-hmm. That could play a factor, as you say, if they end up back. Now, L.A. enters the playoffs with a very good look at looking the sharpest they've looked all season. They look how they did at the start of the season, but how much of that is a factor of who they played down the stretch. Yeah. Right. Um, to your point, obviously if the Clippers don't get to the finals or, or to the, the Western conference finals, they're going to blow the team up. They've never gotten past the semifinals mm-hmm. uh, as well. Rob Hennigan, the GM in, um, Orlando has been fired after making some very crazy trades and stupid moves and, you know, nothing really worked out for them. I mean, everyone was so upset in Toronto that Bismack Biombo left and I kept on them. You can't pay him that kind of money yeah. for seven points or five points and seven rebounds. You just can't. So we ended up getting a Baca for a song. You know, mm-hmm. we gave away the pick for that we got to, for trading Grievous Vasquez Whichever, I'm not sure who ended up with the higher pick, the Clippers or the, or the Raptors, but the lower one goes to Orlando and Terrence Ross. So we lost, in essence, how crazy is this? And I know I'm, I'm digressing here, but <laughs> the Raptors ended up giving up two second-round picks, a player they weren't using in Jared Sullinger, one player that was getting time on the court, Terrence Ross, and couldn't show consistency, and a pick that they got by trading Grievous Vasquez that they got Norman Powell for mm-hmm. already to get Serge Ibaka and P.J. Tucker. Like, how crazy good is Masai Ujiri? I'm sorry. Incredible. Anyway, yes, so I digress. Now, <laughs> looking at 
So yeah, I can see Doc returning. I think Doc's kind of like, is he? I don't know. Is he overrated? Is this a matter of personalities? Because these guys all like to do their commercials out in LA. I think. I think part of the thing is if the Cavs don't make it to the finals this season, it's going to be real interesting to see if LeBron stays in Cleveland after next season. He was hampered. Part of his whining this year came from the fact that he couldn't hold David Griffin for ransom by saying, I'll leave if you don't do this. Because a lot of the moves that the Cavaliers have made have been based on GM LeBron telling him what to do. And now they're in this situation they're in. So very much like that, Doc has gone out and kept the core together, went and got DeAndre Jordan to stay there. If they don't go very far, does Blake Griffin consider returning home to Oklahoma City to play with Russell Westbrook? Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of factors. If they don't get out they're going to be driven to win this first round series. Having said that, I felt that what Utah Jazz did in the off season was precisely what Minnesota Timberwolves should do this off season. They went out and got someone who's used to winning in Boris Diaw. They got someone who you mark my words, Joe Johnson's going to play a factor in one of the games in the series. Mm -hmm. And they got the most underrated point guard in the league. No, it's not Mike Conley, it's George Hill. When George Hill and Gordon Haywood are on the court together, that team is very, very, very good. Do they have a, a crazy offensive team? No, they don't, but they're one of the better defending teams. There's so many matchups in this series that are like drooling worthy. You've got DeAndre Jordan and Rudy Gobert facing each other. You've got George Hill, who's going to make Chris Paul work. And as much for me, as much as Chris Paul is considered to be this amazing point guard and amazing defender, he does a lot of dribbling, and that's very scary around a player like George Hill, which is something that Kyle Lowry found out last season. And if George Hill had been played more minutes, I'm not sure that Indiana might not have gotten past him last year because he stopped Kyle Lowry cold in his tracks. He's a very, very good defender. He has his years with San Antonio. Those three guys are going to do a lot to help these youngsters. It all comes down to Gordon Haywood. Yeah. I... What, what can he do? Like, what can he do in this series? He's, he's played them fairly decently. And who does Doc put against him? What's the, what's the situation with um, his son's health, with Austin's health? Uh, I don't remember off the top of my head. I think he'll probably put Luke Richard Mabamute on him. Um... Yeah, but Haywood will eat him for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Yeah, I mean... Mabamute is a pretty good defender, but I, I don't think he'll be able to stop Hayward, but he could be able to limit him. Um, and then the other help defense from the Clippers could be able to help out. Um, I mean, he didn't shoot great. He only shot 38.1% uh, in the three games that he played against L.A. So he didn't have great numbers, but he's closed the season well. Mm -hmm. um, the Jazz are 12-2 and two in games. This, this is an interesting, interesting stat I pulled off NBA.com. So the Jazz have the fewest minutes their starting unit, have the least minutes together of um, any playoff team. And they were 12-2 and two in games where their starters were together, whereas the Clippers have the most minutes together of all the playoff teams. Mm -hmm. So that's an interesting stat. But I don't know... I mean, for me, it's weird to call Blake Griffin an X-Factor, but he is the X-Factor. And... Hayward is the X-Factor, but there's so many players on this Jazz team. It's a matter of whether those three vets can get them to take their game to the next level, because let's not forget, this is also the first time they've been in the playoffs in a while, 
right? Yeah, this is the first time since the 2011-2012 season where they were swept by the Spurs. So. And, 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 just like I said about the Rockets to you, do Chris Paul and Blake Griffin make it out of the playoffs healthy? Exactly. I mean, the, I think, I, what I have written down here is that I think that the Clippers are extremely talented, and if they stay healthy, I see them pulling it out because of the home court advantage, but you get one injury to their core guys, and it's a whole other story, especially if the Jazz can stay relatively healthy throughout the series. Or if, or if the Jazz push them to a Game 7, and they suddenly pull ahead, do they start having visions of the Rockets coming back from 21 points down and spanking them on their home court and embarrassing them while Steve Ballmer imploded on the sidelines, you know? Yeah. So, I, I mean, I think that they have to win, and they know that. How much pressure that adds to them, I'm not certain. This could be another one of those series where Clippers go up two games, they go into Utah, and they get one, and all of a sudden the series is over. Or the Jazz could shock them and win one of the first games on the home court and take back the home court advantage. Yeah, I think it's one of those series as well. I think it's likely... Uh, I, I'm picking Clippers in seven. It could all, all, also end in six in a really tough six-game series. Um, but I'm going to give the edge to the Clippers. They're just, there's just so much talent there. And if they stay healthy and they use that home court advantage, I yeah. think that they know they have to win this series, and I think they'll pull it out. Well, against my better judgment, because everybody knows I hate the Clippers. <laughs> I, just, I just do. Against my better judgment, even though they're entering the postseason, the healthiest they've been, playing at the best that they've played both on, on both ends of the court, I'm going to take the Jazz mm. in six. Wow, in six games. I like the bold bold declaration yeah. there. This is going to be my big upset. And I, and I could be proven wrong, and I could be doing it just because of my angst for, <laughs> for the Clippers. If it goes seven, I tend to agree with you, but... But then even still, something tells me, even in seven, I think that they could pull it out. I can see Joe Johnson pulling out like some crazy Joe Cool shot from <laughs> hitting a three, fall away three, or having some sort of situation where they're down by two or down by one, and they throw in a lob and Rudy Gobert plunks it over top of DeAndre Jordan for like the play of the playoffs. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not as much as you and I are saying this is going to be such an exciting series. Don't kid yourself, uh, fans. This is not going to be an exciting series series of a high scoring series oh yeah yeah it's gonna be grind out Mm -hmm. if you think that san antonio and memphis are gonna grind it out what what utah is going to try and do a lot of a lot of this comes down to pace Mm -hmm. what who plays at the higher pace can la push the pace or will utah control the pace that's what utah is so great at doing is controlling pace yeah and george hill will be a huge factor if he stays healthy i just i i really want to see one of the teams upset and this is the team i mean it's not really calling much of an upset when they're four fives but it just would be very very interesting and the other factor is looking forward past this series, which team do I think offers a better matchup against Golden State? I actually think it's Utah. Oh, yeah. I mean, the the, the Clippers, so, when they face the Golden State Warriors, are just like little children being scared. Of, I mean, Yeah, and that's partly, why, that's partly why I'm probably leaning towards hoping the Jazz win the series, because I think that they could really make things difficult for Golden State. Yeah, I like that you clarify that. It's not going to be... A, a fun, entertaining, fast-paced style of play. Again, if you like slow, bas- slow defensive basketball, you'll love this Plotting. series. The Jazz play in the slowest pace in the league. They also have the third-best defense 
Clippers have the 13th best defense. This will be a grinded out, slow series. And, you know, the Clippers are going to try and control the pace and, and, and speed it up a little bit. But those the Jazz are really going to do their best to really slow it down. So And, and X-Factors. I mean, does Rodney Hood suddenly have a breakout performance? Or because he's young, does it take him a couple games to get his, his legs, you know? What uh, does Dante X get any minutes? Shelvin Mack. Shelvin Mack could be a huge X factor. Joe Johnson could be a huge X factor. Derek Fazers is dealing with this degenerative knee disease, which is very sad because he was one of those players that was a perennial guy that I always felt was most improved player candidate. And this season, he ended up playing 50 games. So he was on the sidelines for 32 games. Derek Favors could be an X factor. Joe Ingles, the plodding boy with the cement shoes could be an X factor. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like there's, when I look at Utah, they're so much deeper than the Clippers. The Clippers bar none have the better starting lineup and have all these serviceable minutes playing together. Jamal Crawford can be an X factor for them. Raymond Felton, I don't know. Maurice Spates could be an X factor for them. But I honestly think that, Utah is deeper, and something just tells me that this is going to be the swan song for the Clippers. And if they get in a situation where they're down in games, so they start screaming at each other on the floor, because I don't think they have the best chemistry of any team in the league. Yeah, that's another interesting point. I mean, that's why that is why this series is so intriguing to me. There's just so many aspects of that are intriguing. Not only the short term, you know, matchups within the actual series but the long-term implications of the series if the Clippers were to lose if the Jazz were to win they're a better matchup for the Warriors there's so many aspects of the series that make it so exciting which is why I think it's probably the most intriguing series for me in, the, in, in kind of how close it is how it's kind of a pick uh, and then the potential long-term implications of the series do you think that Utah could win on their court in seven if they if had it went, if they went seven and it was a close game <sighs> I, I'm not ruling anything out. I really do love this Jazz team if they're healthy and if it, if they keep it close throughout the entire Game 7 or even if the Clippers get a, a lead. You know, that that is automatically, just like human nature, it'll be in their mind, that collapse uh, yeah. three years ago. So yeah. I'm not going to rule that out at all. So do you see my point, though, if the Jazz can get a win, like the second game? Oh, yeah. It could, go, it could go six because if they get that winning and, and wrestle home court back and then go – think about this. If they go – if it's tied going into Utah and Utah takes those two games at home and they go back and it's 3-2 and come back home. Yeah. That's the thing. That's, that's the thing why I'm saying six because if it goes in that manner – where they lose game five and come back for game six. They almost have to win game six at home. If it's different in that it goes two and two, one, 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 that's where I see the Jazz potentially having um, the capability of winning on, on Clippers four. But if they lose games five, six, and seven, then or five and six, I don't see them doing it. So much, much will be uh, based upon how, how the series plays out. And I honestly think more than any other series, even the Cavaliers, which I think could, I don't think is going to happen in this round. I think it'll happen in the next round when they lose. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I, I think that we're going to start seeing more than any other team, the chemistry becomes an issue because we'll start seeing barking because Chris Paul does not take lately to things not going his way and he'll start screaming at DeAndre Jordan and he'll start screaming at other players on the court because as much as everyone calls him a great leader, I don't, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, just a fun fact, fun stat before we end. 
the Clippers and the Jazz actually have the same exact home and road records. They're both 29 and 12 at home and 22 and 19 on the road. Just a little fun fact right there. <laughs> um, yeah, so that was our preview of all of the playoff series in the first round of the NBA playoffs. Uh, before we go, Tamblin, you can throw out where people can find your work and where they can follow you on Twitter and stuff like that. Well, if you want to read what I'm writing, I'm an editor at Thunderous Intentions along with my cohort, Tony Heim. I'm also an editor at 16 Windsor Ring. I'll be covering the Raptors uh, for, for 16 during during the playoffs. And I also write for ESPN's True Hoop affiliate, Raptors Republic. Uh, I'll be covering the pregame for Game 5 for them and maybe some other stuff. I don't know how I'm going to find the time to do all this. <laughs> um, and I'll be shortly bringing my Tamberlands Tip-Off podcast back, uh, which will be featured on 16 Windsor Ring. If you want to follow me on social media, you can follow me at Tamberlands Tip-Off, and that's at capital T-T-O-T, lowercase A-M, B as in Bob, Z as in Zebra. That's at T-T-O-Tams, or my Facebook page, Tamberlands Tip-Off. So... Thanks for having me on, Eric. Thanks for coming on. As always, always a great discussion. Everyone check out Tamberlin's work everywhere and follow her on social media and then follow me on social media at Eric Spiro. So you can follow the show on social media at the 94 Feet Report or on Facebook. Guys, we have made it to the NBA playoffs. It starts this weekend, Saturday. I uh, hope you guys have a great weekend of watching NBA playoff basketball. Take care.